in looking at Bible doctrines, we are wanting to know God. That, that is the very motivation of our series and, dare I say, of the Christian life. And we last time looked at the doctrine of Scripture, which is the foundation of every other doctrine then. It's built upon that because it's only in the Word, the written Word, uh, that God reveals himself clearly to us. He reveals himself in the natural world, but it's only in the Scripture that we know him as our saviour. And as one person has put it, the written word leads to the living word. And the next doctrine we are going to begin with tonight is theology proper, uh, the study of God. And we're really scratching the surface here now, let me just mention textbooks. I know the Bible is our sole authority. That does not mean that we shouldn't read books uh, that have been written about the Bible and about different doctrines. And I'm aiming in this series the same kind of level as Dr. Lloyd-Jones aimed at in his series on Bible doctrines, they were printed as three separate volumes, but now they've been put together into this one volume. It's not cheap, uh, but if you want a systematic and heartwarming uh, textbook on Bible doctrines, this is the one. If you want to go deeper, then, uh, I would recommend Bob Lethem's Systematic Theology, which has come out recently. The best introduction to doctrines I think, is Packer's concise theology. This doesn't go through in a systematic way what we're looking at. It's just nuggets, uh, but what nuggets they are. Uh, so those are uh, the two main textbooks. I do provide for the home group leaders questions uh, for each doctrine. Now, uh, you can hand those out uh, to the people who attend the group, but those questions are primarily for the leaders, and you don't have to go through all the questions in uh, the meetings on the Monday nights. Uh, you can just do one question if you like. It's just uh, to open up uh, what uh, we are looking at in the talk on the Sunday evening. Uh, and my hope is that in the home groups you can get to grips uh, with things uh, and apply them a bit more and share about them. Uh, so don't be afraid of terminology. Uh, as in any subject, there are going to be terms. I'm trying to keep them to a minimum. You need to know some of them, otherwise you won't be able to read the textbooks. Uh, but theology was once called the queen of the sciences. That means that every other subject flowed from theology, which makes sense, doesn't it? And the two universities that are most famous in our country, and at one time they were the only two, Oxford and Cambridge, they were initially set up uh, to study theology. The, the other subjects were just add-ons. It's not like that anymore, is it? So let's start uh, doing some theology, and 
just begin uh, the doctrine of God. And the first thing I've got to mention is knowing God. That's what we're about. Do you, do you want to know God? Think of Packer's well-known book, Knowing God. You see, the Bible doesn't start, Bible doctrines doesn't start with you and me. That, that's our problem. We begin with ourselves and whatever is bothering us, and we want solutions, don't we? And we bring God in, and then we end with ourselves usually. But the Bible starts with God and his great plan of salvation. And we are dealt with then, but it ends with God. All the glory going to God. How does the Bible begin? Uh, you will find this in Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones's uh, book, and you can imagine him saying it, in the beginning, God. And he could say God in such a way, and it wasn't put on. Uh, you could tell that this man knows God. Now, that's the kind of theologian I want, and I'm sure you want to be. As Tozer put it, somebody who knows God firsthand, not secondhand. Who is God? What's he like? Well, the immediate problem we've got is this. He's creator. We are creatures. Even those who have the most brilliant minds, Lloyd-Jones, Packer, Lethem, they are small in comparison to this great being. We are physical he is spirit, capital S. We are finite. He is infinite. And we are sinful. And he is holy. So before we begin the study of God, we have to say we can't really know God properly. The incomprehensibility of God. Two words. God is transcendent. What does that mean? He's over and above everything and everyone else. Another word, God is ineffable. Dear me, you say, that's a big term. I know it is. It's hard to explain. Well, that's the meaning of it in a way. God is ineffable. We cannot fully know him. <laughs> we cannot really describe him to the fullest extent. Uh, let me uh, quote from uh, the Word of God. This is our only authority. No man hath seen God at any time. John 1. The verses we started off with, I'll repeat them. Oh, the depths. This is the greatest mind in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. What was his conclusion in terms of God? Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? That is what we're looking at tonight. And who has become his counselor? Or Paul writing to Timothy in the letter that deals with the appointment of elders, before he comes to that practical matter, what does he say? Now unto the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, only wise God, the hymn we sang, immortal, invisible. God, only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, is based 
on that verse in 1 Timothy. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. This is where we begin. How can such a small, sinful being as I know this great God? If you don't feel like that, you've got to give up. Uh, Packer, uh, one of my favorite quotes, one of the questions is about this. We should never forget that theology is for doxology. What's doxology? Praise. The truest expression of trust in a great God will always be worship. It's like the reading we had, Moses. Uh, do you know how old Moses was when God called him to lead his people out of Egypt? Moses had been 40 years uh, brought up in Pharaoh's house and then 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep. He was 80 years old, 80 years old. And he is tending sheep at the backside of Mount Horeb and he sees this amazing sight, this burning bush that is not consumed by the fire. And what's his first instinct? His first instinct is to analyze it. That's what the reading said. But what happens as he draws near? He hears God say to him, Moses, take your shoes from off your feet. This is not a place for analysis. This is a place for worship. Worship. Let us be careful, even in studying theology, that we don't become so obsessed with analysis that we forget to worship. Worship. That is the right attitude to knowing God. Uh, Lloyd-Jones, though God is fully incomprehensible, he is nevertheless knowable. That's good, isn't it? Even though God is ineffable, cannot fully be understood, praise God, he's still knowable. And that little bit is what we are concentrating on. And you know what? This is why we've been saved. It's not me saying that. It's what Jesus Christ prayed in his great high priest street prayer. This is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou Past sense. So the doctrine of God is concentrating mainly on God the Father, but it's only through the illumination of God the Holy Spirit and in the Son that we can know God. The Trinity is involved, but we're concentrating here on God the Father. Jesus said, John 14, 9, He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So we can't fully know God. It's like uh, studying a subject. This is a very poor illustration. But you know when you start off studying a subject, you think you know everything. And then you start reading. And you begin to realize, maybe I didn't know that much. And then the more you read, the more you plumb into the depths of the subject, the more you realize there's very little you knew <laughs> about the subject. Well, when it comes to God... It's a, an infinite subject. Uh, but we can know. We can know. And that's what we're concentrating on tonight. What we can know. Do you want to know him? Take your shoes off, as it were. We're going to tread on holy ground. And there's enough that we can know in the word. 
that will cause us to worship and to trust and to be grateful. So that's my first point, the knowledge of God. And then the second point, and this is what we're going to do for the rest of the talk this evening, the names of God. So if there is something of God that I can know, what is it? Who is God? What is he like? The little I can see of him? Well, you begin with the names that God has. In uh, Hebrew, a name, as I said on Christmas morning, isn't just uh, something that you give to a person. It actually describes their characteristic. So uh, the example we had on Christmas Day was in Matthew 1, 21. Jesus. That means Joshua, and that means deliverer, saviour. So let's look at God from the names that we've got. Uh, you could just discuss this tomorrow night, just the different names in the Bible that God has. Now, before we come in, uh, in detail to the names, I've got to do some grammar with you. Did you ever do grammar at school? I never did grammar at school. So I'm learning grammar, doing theology. But I just want to mention a few points of grammar. Otherwise, we, we will get lost. There are similes in the Bible when it comes to God. What's a simile? A simile is when God compares himself to something. So he doesn't say that that something is God, but he compares himself to something. So just to give an example, God is compared to a lamb, isn't he? Worthy is the lamb. Uh, the characteristics of meekness comes. Uh, there are other passages where God is compared to a lion. So that's a simile. And then you've got metaphors. Now this goes slightly further than a simile. A metaphor is where something is described in terms of another thing. So it's more than just comparing. It's, it's more direct. Uh, so let me give you some biblical metaphors when it comes to God. Our God is a consuming fire. That doesn't mean that when you see fire, it is God. But God describes himself as fire. Not just comparing himself to fire, but like to like. And of course, what is being described there is God's wrath. Or I'll give you another one from this morning's sermon. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And then there are other names of God. Before we come to uh, the uh, proper names, where God describes himself to things in terms of his essence. There are three I've got here. God is spirit. God is love. God is, does anybody know? Light. Thank you, Brian. God is light. So now let's come, this is what I want us to concentrate on. Let's come to the proper names of God. We're going to have a bit of Hebrew as well as we go through. And then uh, we will sing a hymn and go into the communion. So what are these proper names of God? Where we started, in the beginning, God. What's the name there? In the Hebrew, it's El. El. 
And that simply means it's the name for this supreme being, this divine being. And then added to El, you've got Elohim. Remember Owen in the children's talk that Nathan gave? That was Owen's voice uh, in one of the characters in the children's talk, if you didn't notice. Elohim is the plural of El. Isn't that interesting? Even in Genesis, God describes himself in the plural. We've already got hints that God is more than one person. And so El describes this majestic being, this creator in the beginning, God. Isn't that a reason enough to worship? Let let me give you this example. I want to pepper this with examples so it doesn't become too dry. I was once uh, doing a placement uh, in my summer between two years in Bible college. I did a placement on the Wirral, that little peninsula between Liverpool and North Wales. And it was in a church in a village in the Wirral. And there was a gentleman there. He was much older than me, but I had wonderful fellowship with him. He'd just become a Christian. He was in his late 60s. So he was old, but he was a young believer. And he took me walking once. We went to Malham up in the Yorkshire Dales. And it was an awful day. It was misty. It was raining. And in the middle of our walk, we were standing in this gorge near Malham, and he said to me, "When can I pray, please? Can I pray? Because he was just overwhelmed at the glory of El, the Creator. And so in the middle of Malham, in the mist, both of us bowed our heads together. That's theology. That's theology. Another name based on El. El Shaddai. El Shaddai. Turn to Genesis chapter 17. I'll give you one example of this. El Shaddai. God reveals himself to Abraham in Genesis 17.1 as El Shaddai. In some Bibles, you will have a footnote which has the Hebrew name. But in the English, uh, let's, let's make it a bit more interactive. What is El Shaddai? God Almighty. Almighty. That, that's what it means, El Shaddai. El Shaddai sounds very beautiful, doesn't it? God reveals himself to the patriarch as God Almighty. I am the one who is in complete control. What a comfort at the beginning of a new year. We're not uh, living uh, a life that is uh, the result of random events. It is El Shaddai that is in control. And what's wonderful about El Shaddai is it's not just God in control of nature and of all the earth, but he has special control of his children. Father-like, he tends and spares us. Another name for God. I'm going to go through these quickly. You can discuss them in the Bible study tomorrow night. Why not have a whole Bible study just going through some of these names and saying how you have been helped by them? This isn't just head knowledge, is it? It, It's it's life. Adonai. 
Adonai. Does anybody know what Adonai means? Or what the word is in our English Bibles? Lord. Lord. And it simply describes God as ruler. We are his subjects. He is the Lord. It's obvious, isn't it? But practically, we don't live often as if it's the case. This is why theology is not just head knowledge. It should affect our lives. And then, the greatest name of God. This is why I read from Exodus chapter 3. Yahweh. Jehovah. When Moses had that vision of God at the burning bush, and God sends him uh, back to Egypt to speak to the elders of the children of Israel, Mo Moses is one of the most reluctant uh, prophets of them all. How many of them were reluctant? Jeremiah also. And he says to God, when I go to them, they're going to ask me, who has sent you? What am I going to say to them? And you know what God answered? Say to them, I am sent you. And that's in capital letters in our Bibles. That's what Yahweh is. I am that I am. It was sacred to the Jews. It was so sacred they couldn't utter the name Yahweh. Initially, it was just the consonants. So you just would have had Y, W, H, or Y, H, W, H. It was later that the vowels were added. They were added by the Masorites. But Yahweh means I am that I am. It's the same as Jehovah. And what word does our Bibles use for that? It's only in Exodus 3 you have I am that I am. Everywhere else another word is used. It's the word Lord, but it's in capital letters. So whenever you come across the word Lord in capital letters in the Bible, it means Yahweh. Jehovah, I am that I am. Now then you will say to me, what does it mean? What does it mean? We hear of Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, they don't really understand what it means. So what is Yahweh? Well, it means God is unchangeable. I am that I am. I was what I was. I will be what I will be. And it's not just his immutability, his unchangeableness in general. It's his unchangeableness when it comes to his relationship to his covenant people. And this is where it gets wonderful because God says, I am the God of Abraham, the God that made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant went further back than Abraham. It went back to Eden. In Eden sad indeed that day, my countless blessings fled away, my crown fell in disgrace. But God promised in the darkness, in the despair of Eden, that the seed of Eve would one day come and he would turn around all the destruction that the devil has wrought. And it was to Abraham's seed that that lineage was to come. This covenant. God is a covenant God. He makes a contract with human beings. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, were in covenant with God. When we were created, Adam was our head. But Adam failed and we in him have fallen. 
But God has provided a second Adam, Jesus Christ, who is victorious. So he's not the second Adam as if there could be failure and there's need of a third Adam. He's the last Adam. And so Yahweh means the unchangeable God. The God who has covenanted with Jesus Christ to have a people to himself and to keep those people. It's one of the most precious names. And if you look at your Bibles, the name Jehovah appears several times in different variations. Again, you could have a whole Bible study tomorrow night just discussing these. I'm going to give you some of them. We're going to look at the more famous ones. Jehovah, and there'll be a phrase that follows. Uh, maybe the most famous is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord, capital letters, Jehovah. What does Jireh mean? Will provide. The Lord will provide. We know in Genesis 22, when God uh, commanded Abraham to slay his son Isaac, and when they were on the top of Mount Moriah, and Abraham had laid his son on the wood, and he was about to put the knife uh, into his son, that God says to Abraham, Stop! You don't have to offer your son. I have provided an offering in his place. And Abraham built an altar, and he called that altar Jehovah Jireh. God will provide. Brothers and sisters, what better name to concentrate on when it comes to God at the beginning of a new year than God will provide? Are you worried about what may happen? Finances, work, family? Concentrates on Jehovah Jireh. We have a God who provides. Then let me give you a few other names. You, you, you could spend a Bible study just discussing Jehovah Jireh, couldn't you? <laughs> you could talk about how you have experienced God's provision. Um, it was a pity that Maged wasn't here for long uh, this uh, Christmas, uh, but he shared with uh, his prayer group how God is Jehovah Jireh. And then let me go through a few others. Jehovah Sabaoth. This is Lord of hosts. Let me give you uh, the example of that. Uh, the Lord of hosts. 1 Samuel 1, chapter 3. In a very dark time, uh, God is referred to as the Lord of hosts. Now, who do these hosts refer to? It's the hosts, the armies of the Lord. Uh, so when uh, Samuel was born, uh, the kingdom of uh, God didn't look very promising. Uh, Eli uh, was ruling and uh, he was... Uh, backslidden, and the sons of Eli were degenerates, and it looks hopeless, doesn't it? 
but God is still on the throne, and he has his hosts. The hosts of heaven, the church militants. Uh, I like uh, one of the best examples of Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, is a little later on in Second Kings. Do you know the accounts of Elisha and his young man uh, when the king of Syria is coming uh, to catch Elisha in Dothan? And uh, they're staying there, and one morning... Uh, the young man goes out to take a breather and he sees the armies of Syria surrounding them. Him and Elisha, what hope have they got? And I can, uh, well, he does run back and he cries to Elisha, what are we going to do? It's all over. He is panicking. And I can imagine Elisha, as one friend of mine put it, smoking a cigar, saying, it's all right, it's all right. And do you know what Elisha prayed? Lord, open the young man's eyes. And he did. And what did he see? He saw the mountain full of horses and chariots of fire. The Lord of hosts. Brothers and sisters, we feel as if we're in the minority, don't we? Don't you feel sometimes you're a minority in the minority, but one with the Lord of hosts is in a majority. There is an unseen army defending the Lord's people. Be encouraged. And then let me give you another one. Jehovah Nisi. Does anybody know what this means? Jehovah Nisi. It's in Exodus 17, 15. Moses built an altar to the Lord and he named it Jehovah Nisi. It was after the defeat of the Amalekites. Remember that? And it means the Lord, my banner. The Lord, my banner. It's through God that we are more than conquerors. Uh, let me give you another one. Jehovah Roe. You all know what this means. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Jehovah Roe. Leslie Gibbons was preaching uh, on this theme in uh, Saltmead this morning. And then I'm coming to an end now. Jehovah Shalom. What a wonderful name to God. This is used in the book of Judges, Judges 6, 24. When God reveals himself to Gideon again, it was a time when it seemed as if the kingdom of God was on the decline. It was being oppressed by the enemy, the Midianites, in Gideon's day. And God reveals himself as Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. May we prove him to be that in this coming year. Uh, when you come to some of the great doxology statement of praise in the New Testament, they sometimes combine these different names. At the end of Hebrews, now may the God of peace, may Jehovah Shalom, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, Jehovah Roe, <laughs> through the blood of the everlasting covenant, that looks back to uh, the immutability of God, the fact that he doesn't change in his promises. Can you see why this study of God, what's he like as we consider his names? 
it doesn't just give us an academic interest, does it? It causes us to be amazed. And like my friend in uh, the mist in Malham, just say, let's pray. Wow, we've got a God who is this. Let's pray. Let's praise. And then uh, I forgot to mention, we sang it, Jehovah Tzidkenu. Is it nothing to you? Is it something to you? Is it everything to you? Luther, he was completely oblivious to that name until God, the Spirit, opened his eyes. I think he was lecturing. It didn't happen all at once. It wasn't an eureka moment. He was lecturing in Wittenberg University through the epistle to the Romans, and he came in Romans 1.17 to the phrase, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation, for therein a righteousness from God is revealed. The righteousness from God. And McShane uh, wrote the hymn, but Luther couldn't understand how can God's righteousness, dikaiosune, be Good news, the righteousness of God surely is something that condemns us because we are unrighteous. He is righteous. And then Luther gradually saw, it dawned on him gradually, that it's not the righteousness of God as an attribute of God. It's the righteousness of God as a gift. Jehovah Tzidkenu. And it's not just something abstract, is it? It's not just righteousness that is given to us. The righteousness of God is the Lord himself. Jeremiah, where Jehovah Tzidkenu comes from, the Lord, my righteousness. What a gospel that Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness, that we're clothed in his righteousness. And then there's a crescendo as you go through these different names. Uh, did, didn't you enjoy the... Christmas services. Um, I'm thinking of the nine lessons and carols and uh, the Heath Church Choir uh, singing. And there was one uh, uh, Christmas song we sang and there was a crescendo, a crescendo. Uh, and make him room. Do you remember us singing that? There's a crescendo. And there's a crescendo throughout uh, the Old Testament because the ultimate name that is going to be revealed after 400 years of nothing, no prophecies, no revelations for 400 years, and then thou shalt call his name Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. The mighty ruler, the ineffable, transcendent God, now compacted to a person, even a baby. I found the illustration that Andy gave. Uh, he who made the starry skies. Now, that, that is mind-blowing, isn't it? Uh, should be held in the arms of Mary. So in Jesus Christ, the ineffable, the immortal, the transcendent God is a person who can feel who can understand, who can draw alongside. And all of this in order that he may become our representative and suffer the curse 
not just live the perfect life in our place to give us his righteousness, but to take the curse of the wrath of God. Well, there we go. Uh, Just some words of the Savior. He said in his great high priestly prayer, I have manifested thy name unto those which thou gavest me. May, May he, in this new year, manifest his name and the wonderful names we've been considering we're going to sing in a minute the god of abram praise who reigns enthroned above ancient of everlasting days and god of love this is what gives iron into your soul jehovah great i am by earth and heaven confessed i bow and bless the sacred name forever blessed and then how sweet the name of jesus sounds that last word of god in a believer's ear it soothes his sorrows heals his wounds and drives away his fears. Dear name, dear name. The rock on which I build. Here are some metaphors. My shield and hiding place. My never failing treasury. Filled with endless stores of grace. No wonder Billy Bray, uh, to refer to the father, could say, I've got a wealthy father. I've got a wealthy father. Jesus, my shepherd. More metaphors. More uh, Essential names now. Brother, friend, my prophet, priest and king, my lord, my life, my way, my end. There's a crescendo. But it's not to fill our minds that we're puffed up. Accept the praise I bring. Um, Philip Peveson has written a book on the 1904-05 revival in Ross in North Wales. It wasn't just Evan Roberts that was mightily used of God. It was R.B. Jones, and he preached on Isaiah 6, on the person of God, in Rhoslanerchrigog. That's a name, isn't it? Rhoslanerchrigog. And it was said during the outpouring of the spirits in Ros at that time, if you caught a train from Wrexham, which was the nearby town, to go to Ros, at one point in the journey, you would sense the presence of God. Isn't that what theology is really all about? I remember somebody saying to me once how they came to this church when the Lord was visiting you in the 70s, I think this person was referring to, and they said, I came in, I came in to the building, and the first thing I was aware of was God. The presence of God. May we know uh, these things. Uh, This is what we want more than anything, is it? To know God. May he give us just a sight and we will be satisfied for his name's sake. Uh, Let's sing Uh, that hymn I think we've got time it's not a brief hymn the God of Abraham uh, praise it's number 69 in our hymn books and Abraham's God is your God and my God and he is worthy of our praise
So, Father in heaven, we do give thee praise, and one day it will be endless praise, and eternity will be too brief to be able to say all that we need about thy wonderful being. And we're just amazed, O oh God, that we have been saved, not just to escape hell, but to know thee in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank thee as we've started just looking at the doctrine of thy person, that just these different names are a revelation uh, that uh, causes us uh, to be in awe and yet to be comforted as well. And so bless us now as we come uh, to thy table and to be reminded of what it cost thee, Father, Son, and Spirit, to make us whole. Uh, please draw near in Jesus' name. Amen.